May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. I don't know about you, but it's ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, I know how we use it. Um, you know, uh, a credit realized today is worth a promise of twice as much tomorrow. But why a bird in the hand? I mean, what are you going to do with a bird in your hand? It just seems perilous to me, first of all, to have a bird in your hand. But second of all, uh, that you would want two of them tomorrow. It, it, it doesn't make sense at all. But there's worse. He wants to have his cake and eat it too. You know that's ridiculous, don't you? have thought about this one many times. I know you've heard people say that, and you've perhaps said it, and you're like, but of course I want to eat my cake. I mean, what do I want to do, like give my cake to somebody else? Um, do I not want to have my – what am I supposed to do, just look at the cake? I think uh, maybe that was sort of a dreamed up by like a modeling agency, you know, where they're not allowed to eat. You know, they brought out – you can look at your cake for ten minutes, but, you know, she wants her cake and eat it too. Um, Maybe also there's this one, perhaps one of my favorites. It's like taking candy from a baby. I think this is ridiculous on a number of levels, okay? Um, for the first thing is what sort of cruel person takes candy from a baby? Get your own candy. You want to take a baby's candy? I mean, that just seems mean. Why did you give the baby candy in the first place? Only to take it back, right? Let the baby have its candy. But on another level, it's it's it's... Not very smart because, um, I was going to say dumber, but that's not the right word. It's, it's less meaningful, reasonable, because none of my babies would have sat still for a moment if you tried to take their candy away, right? I mean, I have visions of like an 18-month-old, We, you know, back in, in, in the day, we used to have to go to the bank. I still go to the bank. Um, I'm the only one who goes to the bank, I think. I think everybody else doesn't, doesn't internet or whatever, but I still go to the bank. In the, when the kids were young, they would be in the back, like in car seats, and you, you go through the drive through teller, and the teller would see the little kids in the back seat, and she would stick a couple suck, suckers, little dum-dum suckers, into the, the canister and send it out, and um, so you would get your money back, and the kids got a sucker, and then you'd unwrap it, and you'd hand it back to them, okay? And so I have this vision of this little 18-month-old with a dum-dum in his mouth, and he's like, stuck it out there and now it has dog hair and crumbs and everything else on it and I reach back to try to grab it out of his hand because it looks really gross and I'm kind of grossed out by it and and, an 18 month old with this pudgy little hand wraps around that sucker and it's like he's like at the strength of a viking warrior you know what I mean like you are not getting that thing away from him like taking candy from a baby it means that something that's supposed to be easy, and so I have no idea why it came to be, because taking candy from any baby I've ever met is the most difficult thing you'd ever do. Some things sound easy, but they're much more difficult than they sound. Some things seem like they might be easy, taking candy from a baby, maybe taking a walk in the woods, 
my wife and I, uh, we uh, like to walk in the woods and um, we're avid hikers, especially during the fall hiking spree. And um, you know this thing that uh, the Summit Metro Parks have where you go and you, you hike like, I don't know, seven or eight different trails and, and they give you a little medallion. The first year they give you a walking staff and then afterward they give you a medallion. And um, so every year we kind of get this little medallion having completed the cycle. And they, um, they rank the, 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 the different hikes that you can take as easy, moderate, or difficult. Right, and we've done all of them. The difficult are not that difficult. They're, they're, you know, they're fine. But we love to do take a hike. Um, I tell you that because a few years ago we went to Gatlinburg for a um, like a little vacation, and we were going to do what we do. We take a hike in the woods, right? Let's go take a walk in the woods. There was this one trail called Chimney Tops, and I looked over the the description and just kind of skimmed it. I didn't think it. It, it said moderate. I'm like, oh, moderate. See, yeah, we can do that. And it was only a mile and a half loop, so you go a mile and a half one way and then you walk a mile and a half back. A mile and a half that ascends 1,500 feet. This is a moderate one, right? 1,500 feet. We're, we're up there walking with our hands right in front of our faces, like climbing a 15-story building, you know, in, in a mile. It was unbelievable. The views when you finally got there were great. But along the climb, you know, we're sweating and perspiring and and saying, who picked this and whose idea was this and, you know, we're never doing this again. It sounded easy. Will we ever see our children again? You know, this is the, what's going to happen as we're going up here. It sounded easy, you know, but it wasn't. Apparently, the um, Smoky Mountain National Park seems to think moderate means something completely different than the Summit Metro Parks <laughs> thinks when they say moderate. Some things like taking candy from a baby or taking a walk in the woods might sound easy, but maybe they're much more difficult than you imagine. Jesus says to his friends one day, Peter, James, and John, come, let's take a walk in the woods. Actually, this is going to be a walk up a mountain, you know, and I kind of imagine them going up the mountain and how, um, how they probably were thinking, how do we get selected for this job? You know, well, we could have stayed down at the bottom of the mountain where everybody's camping and enjoying themselves, but they're climbing this mountain and they get to the top. And Matthew, very quickly, did you notice this? Suddenly, suddenly, twice he says it in this, suddenly, Jesus transfigured before them. He metamorphosed, is the word. He metamorphosed before them, and he began to glow. He began to shine like the sun. His clothes became radiant white. They're bright, and he's shining before them. And um, and they are suddenly just caught up in this this moment. Now we as readers we know we know the story, don't we? I mean, we've read it, Marie. You've read it a couple times, haven't you? Yes, we've read the story. We know it's going to get a little shaky. Things are going to get a little scary. Jesus is going to be, uh, you know, he's going to be. Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Betrayed. That's it. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be um, tried. He's going to be executed. He's going to die. He's going to rise from the dead too, isn't he? We know this. We know this story. These friends of his, Peter, James, and John, do not know this story. They know there's something special about Jesus. They know that he's remarkable in a lot of ways. They do not know how remarkable he is. They do not know exactly what's going to become of him. And he transfigures before them. He metamorphoses before them. And they suddenly see him. 
shining like the sun. Now listen to this. Don't miss this. He did not become something he wasn't in that moment. It wasn't as if he he became something that he wasn't. He revealed to them what they could not there, uh, heretofore see, right? He revealed what he was. They weren't able to see it, and suddenly they were. I tried to imagine what this would be like. I, I think it would be like Clark Kent walking through the Daily Planet, and, and his cape is hanging out the back of his suit. You know, like, oh no, you know, we know this guy. How did nobody ever see him, you know? The glasses, it really wasn't that big of a disguise. Anyway, but they, they see Jesus for who he is. They become aware of this. But it gets better. All of a sudden, Moses and Elijah are there. Moses, the writer of the Torah, the writer of the law. Elijah, the greatest of all the prophets. They literally wrote the Hebrew Bible. Moses and Elijah appear before them. If, if little kids in ancient Israel collected Bible hero cards the way we used to collect baseball cards, I mean, this, is, this was a, you know, a Ty Cobb. And, and what, these are the greatest figures in, in Israel's history. Moses and Elijah standing there with Jesus. And Peter says the only reasonable thing that anybody can say, let's build three shrines, one for each of you. And we're just going to stay up here forever. This is fantastic. We have crossed over. We're in some other kind of dimension. We are, we are in a place we never thought possible. Here we are. Let's just stay here. And no sooner do those words come out of his mouth than this cloud moves in. Um, it, it moves in and it overshadows the mountain. Whenever a cloud in the Bible overshadows a mountain, get ready. Something big is about to happen. Um, theologians call this a theophany. A theophany, a fancy word. It means a visible manifestation of the power and presence of God. It's not a cloud that's moving in. It's the Almighty Himself. And a voice comes from the cloud. We're not told, did you notice? You're not told whose voice it is that comes from the cloud? Do you know why? Because you don't have to be told, do you? The voice of the Almighty speaks from the cloud. And what does he say? This is my Son, the Beloved, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. And then suddenly Moses and Elijah are gone. Jesus is not like Moses and Elijah. Jesus is greater than Moses or Elijah. He alone is the the image of the invisible God. He alone is, is this one who radiates. He is not reflecting light. He is light. It's coming from His very being. And they see Him for who He is. The voice from the cloud. This is my Son, the Beloved, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. The first part of that sentence, up to the semicolon, is what's called an indicative. It's a matter of fact. You remember this from grammar, don't you? Matters of fact. Fish swim in the ocean. You know, chocolate is delicious. Father Joe is a devilishly handsome priest. All matters of fact. Easy to deal with. Why are you smiling? Anyway, um, these are matters of fact. But the second part is an imperative. It's a command. Listen to him. Listen 
to him. I thought about the irony of this passage, how it's all so visual, isn't it? You have all these visual things that are happening. Jesus transforming before them, transfiguring before them. Moses and Elijah appearing, the cloud coming in, all these things. But the real key is in the auditory, isn't it? The voice comes from the cloud. Listen to him. They fall on the ground, flat as dead. I mean, they did what we would do, right? Oh, my word. Just fall to the ground and cover your face. And I love the tenderness of this passage. Jesus comes to them and he touches them. These ancient writers had an economy of words. They couldn't just, you know, say everything they wanted to say. They had to, they had to kind of narrow it down a little bit, right? Because uh, things were important that had to be, had to kept. You don't have much paper. It's important that Matthew says he touches them. And he says to them, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Two commands. Listen to him. Rise. Don't be afraid. And then they start going down the mountain. The last command is, keep this to yourself. But that's sort of an aside. The real commands, listen to him. Don't be afraid. Do you know when you tell somebody not to be afraid? (laughs) You know when you use that phrase? It's when they're afraid. <laughs> um, I remember trying to get my, my oldest son on the first roller coaster. And I'm saying to him, don't be afraid. Like He's, he's terrified, right? He's shaking. And, and it, was a, it was a mild little roller coaster, really. But he was somewhat of a chicken. Don't tell him I said that. Anyway, um, he was trying to get on it. And I'm like, it's, it's fine. Don't be afraid. What do you mean, don't be afraid, Dad? Of course I'm afraid. I'm going to fall out. Somebody dies on this. I said, it's been weeks since anybody died on it. You'll be fine, you know. Um, and, and so we got on, and don't be afraid. This is when you say, don't be afraid, when there's something to fear. We've been in this season of epiphany for some time now, a really long epiphany. Last, last year it was a couple weeks shorter. I went a good long epiphany season. Epiphany reminds us that Jesus came as the Savior of the whole world. He came for everybody, man and woman, Jew, Gentile, slave and free. He came for Hindus and Muslims. He came for Asians and Hispanics and blacks and whites and everybody else. That Jesus came as the Savior of the whole world. And it's a great message. It's so fun to proclaim. It's all oh, it's awesome. But when you come down the mountain, at the end of Epiphany, when you finally see Jesus for who he is, and you come down the mountain, there's only one place that road goes. That's the road to the cross. And that's what Lent's about to take us through in beginning this week. Wednesday, we enter into the Lenten season, and it takes us on the road to the cross. I love the road to the top of the mountain. It's a great road to take. Here's another real irony. Coming down the mountain is sometimes more difficult than going up it. That actually was a case at Chimney Tops. <laughs> I walked down that mountain. Going down the mountain is going to be more difficult than going up. Some things are harder than they sound, like taking candy from a baby and a piece of cake. <laughs> Maybe it's not that easy. Taking a walk in the woods. But the word comes to us. This is my beloved. Listen to him. And where does it come to you today? What does the Lord say to you? I mean, what is the thing that's, that's difficult and challenging? And you're like, eh, I don't know about that. Listen to him. 
It's not about geography. It's about a whole life thing, isn't it? Following Jesus is about a whole life reality. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, it means, in this case, following him to the cross. And that's a place that none of us wants to go. It's a difficult road. As they say in the farming world, a tough road to hoe. It is a, a hardship. It's a difficult way. Um, I had a, a long drive yesterday, and I was riding, I was listening to um, the radio, and I heard this um, this program called How I Built It. I, it's about uh, business people, and they um, they tell the story of how they sort of built their business. And so there's a, a host who interviews somebody, and and the, the the person who built some business will tell the story about how they built it. And um, there was this woman on there. Her name was uh, Sandy Lerner, and she actually um, she together with her husband invented Cisco um, systems. It's a it's a, a company, a, um, a computer company. Basically, what they did was back in the 1980s, uh, they were at Stanford University, and they developed a system at Stanford so that computers could talk to one another, computers of different systems, so an IBM or whatever would talk to other computers, and, and they had they developed this sort of interface. And they wanted to go public with it, but Stanford would not allow them to license it. And so they thought, well, we could, we could find a way to do this in the, in the business world and make a business out of it. And they went out and they began to work on this. And they did. They developed a system that allowed computers to communicate. But they couldn't find anybody who would invest in it. People were like, that computer thing will never catch on. <laughs> never, yeah. And so they wouldn't invest in it and, and they had to do it themselves. The, uh, the host says, well, how did you live? She said, and she said, well, we lived off credit cards and we mortgaged our house to the telt. And she said, and when we came just days from bankruptcy, things began to turn. And we started billing at $250,000 a month. This is in 1984. And we're billing at $284,000 a month, but we're behind so much. We're, we're paying off as we're, we're, we're billing, and, and, and it's, we're still not getting ahead like we should. But somebody noticed us when we started making $250,000 a month in sales, and they called, and this investor wanted in on it. I want to help take your company to the next level. And this couple was young and naive. They were, they were computer geeks and academics. They weren't really business people. And so she says the, 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 the guy who wanted to invest was very clever, savvy, and unscrupulous. And somehow he talked us into this deal that was terrible. We didn't really care. We wanted this to be a, you know, a thriving business. We believed him. And in two years, he basically stole the company from them. Their own fault. They should have been better prepared, should have got their own lawyer, but naivete cost them their business. Just for instance, today Cisco um, makes in total revenues $50 billion, with a B, $50 billion a year. Yeah, it was a painful, painful loss for this family. Eh, but, you know, they were, um, they were resilient. They had a little bit of money from that. And so Sandy started another business. Um, it's called Urban Decay, and it's cosmetics. I know nothing about it. But she uh, grew this business over a couple years and, and sold it. She didn't tell how much she sold it for, but uh, I think three years later, it was sold again. Louis Vuitton sold it to L'Oreal or something like that, and it sold for $400 million. So she built this one business. It was stolen from her, built another business, sold it for a – and she now has another business. She has an organic farm in Virginia and is um, doing livestock and all sorts of things and, and a really interesting business model. She tells this whole story, and she says to the guy who's interviewing her towards the end, she said, you know, I've decided 
I know what I want as my epigraph on my tombstone. One word. She says to him, you want to guess what the one word is? And he was stumbling. He was dumbfounded. He said, how could I possibly? You're, you're clever and you're savvy and you're smart and you're you know, creative. And I, I just can't think of all these things. How could I get it down to one word? She said, here's the one word I want people to remember. Bold. Bold. And I thought to myself, that's the way this passage needs to end. What kind of Christian do you want to be in the world? Bold. One who will walk down that mountain with as much confidence as you went up it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.